in Mark's account of the gospel. So far we've seen Jesus investing in his disciples, yet they often seem to miss the mark. They don't see the lesson or get the point that Jesus is teaching them. Yet he has continued with them um, despite their failings and shortcomings. And this section will be no different. As Jesus has just been on the mountain of transfiguration, as Gideon preached us to us last week, we saw Jesus revealed as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets that he was the greater to come. And as God, we also heard the Father proclaiming Jesus as his son. And Jesus and Gideon showed us that Jesus' road to glory is through the valley of suffering, which is also true for, for us in our lives. And there also there's an exhortation from the text that Jesus has been revealed as God, and so we must listen to him. So I hope that today we will listen to him, and today's text will also reveal to us if we listen to him or not. If we listen to his instruction, if we are his disciples, will be evident by today's text. And so I I urge you and I pray that our response would be in reliance upon him through through prayer. As James, Jesus, John, and Peter come down from the mountain, we will see them. The result of not listening to Jesus is that we will see failing disciples. We will see sheep without shepherds, faithless teachers, and the oppression, oppressive destruction of demons. In our text in Mark today, Mark is showing us that only through dependence on Christ in prayer, we can be his disciples. And this is also the sermon title for today. Dependence on Christ in prayer. Dependence on Christ in prayer. And we will walk through the story, this narrative, and see first that we will see failing faith in oneself. We also see faltering faith in a faithful Savior. And we will see the call to faith through prayer. First, then looking at verses 14 to 19. Failing faith in oneself. And please join me there in 14. So, recounting, Jesus has just come down from the mountain where he enjoyed the benefits and the great pleasure of fellowship with Moses and Elijah and God the Father. And he came, and as them, as they did in their times, Moses and Elijah, he comes down to face the problem of God's people. They come down in our text to find the nine other disciples, a great crowd around them, in battle, arguing with the scribes. Someone sees Jesus and they all run to meet him. And Jesus, directing his attentions at the scribes, demands to know what the scribes are bickering over with his disciples this time. But before the disciples or the crowd has a chance to give response to this, there's one one man in the crowd, a father. He he comes forward and tells the story. He tells us that he came to to seek Jesus so that Jesus could sail, could heal his boy, this poor boy. As and as he met the disciples, and they failed to cast out the demon. And somewhere along the way. 
the scribes came, they saw this, maybe they were watching out for it, but at some time they caught wind of this and started criticizing them. And as Jesus comes down to the scene, he is met with God's people, in big bracket, dealing with an evil spirit. There's one side saying that they can free the boy from this spirit, while the other side is rebuking them for trying to do so, and that they're doing it wrongly, the disciples and the scribes. The crowd is looking on from one side to the other, seeing and says, who will win, who is in the right And in the middle of this, we have this father with this demon-possessed boy who is struggling and uh, looking for Jesus. And at this time, Jesus exclaims intensely, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And tells the father to bring the boy to him. So the disciples were sent out earlier doing the very things that they are trying to do here in Mark 6, where Jesus is sending them out to preach, to teach on the kingdom that has come. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And later in Mark 6, we will see that they cast out many demons. So they did this. Yet they're here, they come across an evil spirit. Same thing, of which they have cast out many earlier. But they're no longer able to cast out the spirit. And we must ask, why? What's changed? And what a stark contrast from where we were last Sunday to this, from the glory of the mountain to the glimpse of, of glory Jesus had, and he would one day again rejoin, and also the, the image of the glorious setting where all his people will one day come down to this to where the devil's corruption is manifest the feeble and confused disciples the aggravation of the hypocritical scribes the hypocrisy of them the sorrow of the father and the aimless crowd and in the middle of all this is this demon who has captured this boy the disciples Peter, James, John also saw this and continue to see this in their life. Heavenly bliss on one side, glimpses of it through their lives and through their ministry, through God's grace to them, yet also continually battling with the forces of the devil. Disbelief, confusion, corruption of professing people of God, bodily suffering and outright demon possession. Mark is the only one of the Gospels who paint this picture of this demon possession as this vivid. The other Gospels, they have only half the size of this text. But Mark is describing it. He is like putting an act on a stage showing what's happening. The demon is seizing this man, this boy, throws him down, foaming at the mouth, gnashing of the teeth and paralyzing him. And then we hear the strict words of our Lord, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Echoing the prophets in the Old Testaments before him. The fundamental problem of the people, the here also the oppressing scribes, 
the demon-possessed boy, the carefree or careless crowd, and the failing disciples is that they are faithless to the point of being spiritually oppressed. The rebuke comes to disciples in their faithless failure, to the scribes who had left the true faith behind, as we saw in the Old Testament text. The crowd who were impressed by the latest power displays and generally to the whole general population of that age. But the faithless, faithlessness of the disciples is the symptom of the wider generation at that time. An unwillingness to take Jesus at his word and view things merely by the eyes of flesh, not by the eyes of faith. So the significant thing I want us to take from this is the inadequacy of the disciples. They were not yet fully ready for ministry, and as they tried to do it without Jesus, they're not only operating in the physical, they relied upon their, their own experiences. The Bible calls us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. This man searched for Jesus, but he didn't find him there, neither physically nor spiritually. He didn't find Jesus' work there. Later in the book of Acts, there are some who try to exorcise a demon by just saying, by the name of Jesus the Nazarene, who we have heard about, I command you to leave. And the demon is just, nah. Who are you? You don't know the name. You don't know him. And you are not known by him, so you have no power over me. These in the Acts, they were using it as a formula. Maybe the disciples were doing the same thing. We see that neither oppressive spiritual reality nor the physical man is dealt with by the Christian disciples, Christless disciples even. The crowd did the right thing in this sense. They, while the disciples and the scribes are discussing the failure of the exorcism of this man, the crowd sees Jesus coming down from the mountain and they ran to him. Only Jesus can cast out the darkness Only Jesus can help our helpless situations. Only Jesus can be the engine and power of the church. In ourselves, Mark tries to show us here, we can do nothing. A Christless Christian is powerless and inadequate. Let us not be among the crowd who's gawking at the power display and doesn't really know where to settle Let us not be among the scribes that Jesus rebukes and calls a faithless generation. And let us not be like the faithless disciples. Do we need perfect faith? No. Do we need a lot of faith? No. Faith is only as large as the object of its faith. And as we will see in the coming point, that a weak faith and a faithful faith Savior is more than adequate. Let us look then at faltering faith in a faithful faithful Savior.
and turn with me to verse 20. Faltering faith in the faithful Savior. Mark is drawing this narrative, this story, this play to its climax. We've seen the, the introduction. Jesus comes down from a mountain. He sees this, this squabble, this horrible situation. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. So the father has just explained to Jesus how horrible his son is suffering. And Jesus calls the boy to be brought. And as the boy is brought to Jesus, the spirit in him sees Jesus, convulses the boy and slams him into the ground. The father answers Jesus' questions by saying that this has gone on since childhood by pummeling him to the ground. It's not just thrashing and the boy falls. The spirit is actually trying to pound the boy into the ground to knock him senseless. It is by drowning him or even by burning him up in the fire. And so the father understandably cries out, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus then responds, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And this invokes a strong and raw response from the Father. I believe, yet also help my unbelief. Jesus then rebukes the Spirit, commands it to come out and forever be gone from the boy. This convulses the boy again as the Spirit exits. The boy falls down as dead. But Jesus takes his hand and he rises in his own state of mind and body for the first time in probably years. Back in Mark 5, we saw a man being dominated by a host of evil spirits, forcing the man to be a danger to all around him. And here we see a boy who's only danger to himself while the father is struggling to keep him alive. And at the center here is the struggle for faith, not the struggle against the demon. The father is seeking the miraculous power of Jesus and asks, Can you do anything for us? The disciples were not able because, as the text gives a nuance, they were not strong enough. They were not powerful enough. And so the father, distraught, desperate for years, living on the edge of his nerves, always thinking about the boy, always trying to protect his boy. He never has a breathing room. And I can only think about my own boys, how horrible it must have been to live with this for years, always being watchful for what the boy would do or the spirit then do through him, always having to rescue him up from water, from fire, from injuring himself. And Mark is describing everything with a demon as the subject. It's not the boy who falls. It's not the boy who thrashes. It's not the boy who falls into fire. It's the demon throws him into. The demon casts him into. The demon pounds him into the ground. Some sees this story and downplays it, saying that, oh, it's, it's a boy with epileptic seizures. And that may be accurate, that it's, it is this thing. But the gospel 
is also directly linking this sickness to demonic possession. What has this boy gone through? And he's mute. the spirit makes the boy mute and deaf. So the boy cannot speak, cannot hear, cannot communicate with his father. He cannot hear the father's warning for him. And now face to face with one stronger than all spiritual forces, the spirit panics and again throws this boy to the ground, convulsing and making him stiff and making his his teeth grind and foaming at the mouth, making the boy paralyzed. Mark recounts of the healing is twice as long as I mentioned as the other ones. As Mark is giving a portrait of the whole story of not just what happens, but who Jesus is in this story. You see the evilness of evil and you see the compassion of Jesus. A commentary, Edwards says, one can be amazed by a miracle, but one can only trust and ever believe a person. Jesus here is showing us the compassion of the Father as the Father is asking, please, if there's anything you can do. And the original Greek gives it the, the nuance, help us and have compassion on us. He asks, if you can, would you run to our aid and help us? And Jesus responds, if you can. And it's not the if you can, if you can, all things are possible. It's if you can, if you can. He's attacking the if you can question in a sense directed to himself. He is saying that, yes, I can. All things are possible for one who believes. The father is part of this faithless generation, yet he has faith, faltering as it may be. I believe, help my unbelief. I struggle to believe, yet I do believe. He doubts his belief that he has enough. So he prays not just for the healing of, of his boy, but also for the healing or strengthening of his faith to believe in Christ. And so Jesus, by the word of his mouth, forces the demon out of the boy, and as the spirit flees in terror of Jesus, he rattles the boy once more, and the boy falls down to the ground again. And now everyone standing there is convinced that he is finally dead. Whether the boy actually died or not is not clear, but Mark uses resurrection language describing what Jesus is doing as raising him up and making him stand so whether Jesus resurrected him from dead or not, he did raise him to newness of life and freedom for the first time in years. As we've seen now this interaction between the disciples and the Spirit, the Spirit would not yield to their words, but by Jesus' words, the Spirit faced the mightiest power the, de the demonic spiritual nature can ever face. Jesus has never a problem in banishing demonic spirits in the Bible because he is the ultimate authority. In chapter 3, Jesus showed us that uh, the devil, the strong man, is keeping this world in his grasp. But all through the ministry of Jesus and all that he does, he is showing, as he mentioned there in Mark 3, that you need to bind the strong man before you can plunder his house. And through the Gospels, Jesus is showing that Jesus is the stronger man, binding the devil and plundering 
souls, freeing the souls there. What got this boy possessed at the beginning, at such an early age, we, we cannot know. We don't know what happened, what made this come about. But the Bible, the Bible teaches us about the radical corrupting nature of sin. And so the boy was bound and eventually was demon-possessed. The father went to the stronger man and pleaded with him, Would you run to our aid and help us out of your great compassion? Who does not need to ask Jesus to run to our aid? In our living with our loved ones or strangers, in our behavior, our speech, our thoughts, in our prayers, what we do with our lives. Maybe you are going through something this very week, this very day. What are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? The Father in this text wanted physical healing, but what he needed was a spiritual awakening which strengthened his faith and got his initial prayer answered. What was needed? Faith. A lot? No. A little. No matter how large or small the faith is, genuine faith in God is always something that God will use. Use the faith that you have and at the same time ask God to come to aid to your faith. I believe, help me overcome my belief, un- my unbelief. The Gospel of Mark is written to lead us to faith, not failing, not faltering, but resting faith ultimately. And it comes only by divine aid, and it comes only to cal- calling out to and trusting Jesus. Looking at verses 28 to 29, then the call to faith through prayer. Verse 28. After resolving the problem, both for the boy and for the father, we still have one unresolved, unsolved problem left. The disciples who failed at being disciples. They were approached by a father who explained the severeness of the suffering of his son. And he is looking for Jesus. And the disciple says that he is up at the mountain. He is not there, not available whether it was the father who pleaded with them to, if, can you do it? Or it was the, the proudness of the, the disciples, we can do it. The text doesn't say anything about. But the scribes are always out to get Jesus, and here they see the disciples talking with the man and his weak-looking son without Jesus being present. And so the disciples try to do it, but as the father told Jesus, they were powerless to do anything about it. Someone in the crowd shouts, there's Jesus. The disciples must have seen the hope forming in the eyes of the, the Father as he takes off to Jesus. And they heard the disciples, they heard his condemning words about them and the rest that they see, the, Jesus healing the man and restoring his faith while theirs is sinking deeper and deeper. And after this, they enter a house and they went to him asking Jesus, Why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So remember, the disciples have already 
been able to cast out demons, not just one, but many. But Jesus' answer here strongly implies or altogether condemns them that they have not prayed this instance. They were so confident in their accomplishment and authority that they tried to drive out an evil spirit without first them being driven to their knees in prayer. Some might say, well, it was a time-sensitive issue. But that cannot be the thing. They must have had the time for a word to heaven. Jesus himself will admonish about prayer in later chapters and that it's not about long prayers full of empty words that make it to heaven, but it's knees that hit the ground. In Mark's gospel, whenever the disciples are asking for further questioning on what has just happened, Jesus always gives them the key to understand fully. And so this key given in this text is only by prayer, the Lord answered. So Mark records Jesus praying three times, and in each one he is alone, facing a major change or intersection in this ministry. Besides those, there are mostly passing comments to prayer, but this is the first instruction that prayer is something that the disciples must do. It puts it in context with faith, and it is book, this bookend of the disciples is the faithlessness at the beginning. Prayer is faith put to words. It is faith put to the test and expressed. It is what, bra- what brings faith across. Prayer fuels faith in that way. Faith in Jesus is expressed through our words and our thoughts to him in prayer. And so in that way, I mean that prayer fuels faith by our communicating with our Lord. Specifically, prayer is the focusing and the direction of faith in a request to God. Please help me. Forgive me. Be with me as I go through this. Help me love. Help me forgive. Help me reach with my words. This is what prayer is. Dependence upon Christ Why else would Paul say in Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is acknowledging that the power and authority lies not in oneself, in the disciples' heart, but in God alone, waiting and trusting God to answer and save. And so the disciples were inadequate in their ministry because they tried to do it without him. Serving Christ is always a constant awareness of the iniquity and inadequacy of us and the supreme sovereign and working power and ability of him. There's always time for for prayer, which I urge you to at all times, all through the day. Before you enter a difficult conversation, before you start work, before you make a decision, Paul prayed in Ephesians 6 that words might be given to him as he opened his mouth where to pray without ceasing and this is what we can learn from the disciples in the negative sense that they could not because they didn't pray more time spent in prayer and therefore closer fellowship with God leads to growth in faith so we see here the invitation or the the call to faith through prayer
the disciples failed the spiritual battle that they were in as this played out as the lack of faith, their lack of trust in Jesus, spiritually oppressed as they were. They failed against the scribes who caught them unable to do the work of their master, spiritually oppressed religion. God's disciple in both the Old and New Testament are always categorized as inadequate disciples. They're always sinners, always broken. Yet the Bible speaks that it's only through broken vessels that God's unbroken glory comes through. As this light bulb, this pot, this clay pot that light escapes through it only because it's broken. Only Jesus can be the source source and fountain we drink from. We pray to him, we depend on him, we give him praise and worship by faith that even he gives us. And it's not the size and quality of the faith, or maybe, maybe correctly it is, because our understanding of the quality of the faith that is given us is a gift of God. And so who are we to question the quality, a good gift God has given us, faith? So let us not profess the weakness of our faith. Let us profess our belief in God, who is also able to strengthen our faith. So, again, closing, the way to faith is through prayer. Prayer kills the self and puts all reliance upon Jesus. Prayer is not an empty religious ritual. It is reliance upon God to do that which we cannot. We pray because we know that our hope is built on and sustained by Jesus and his grace to us. So let us pray every day to him. Let us cry out to him every morning, every night, without ceasing. And as the people of Israel in the Old Testament professed, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. That is the only way to live the Christian life, by dependence on Christ in prayer. Let us pray.